This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Today we're continuing our study through the book of Philippians in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Thank you for joining us and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And hello everyone and welcome to worship with West Concord. We're still staying at home and we're still quarantined and doing this via the internet. Uh, Right now I'm in your living room. I wish I were there because you could offer me a biscuit and some coffee. And yes, I would take them, but since I'm not physically there, I'll take a rain check. So we're gonna jump back in this morning in our series, The Spirit of Joy Set Free, as we've been looking at the book of Philippians. And I've called it this, I've called it The Spirit of Joy Set Free, because on a real level, Paul was imprisoned. He was imprisoned. He was under house arrest in Rome. He was chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. And uh, he was seeking joy in the Lord because basically that's all he had. There was no other joy in his life other than God. And he wanted to communicate that to the church at Philippi, not only the church at Philippi, but to whoever he communicated with, that true joy is found in Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul, you know, we can relate to what he was going through because in this quarantine, you and I are pretty much under house arrest. And Paul was arrested for doing nothing criminal. And we're arrested almost for doing nothing criminal. We're staying at home. We're trying to be safe, keep our family safe, keep our community safe. And so we're, we're struggling with all the issues that go along with that. And like Paul, there are a lot of things that we're missing out on. Now, he was more extreme than we were. But I mean, we just can't go where we want to go and do what we want to do. And so we need to seek joy in the Lord because not only will it help us get through this virus, this pandemic, but I believe it will revolutionize our lives so that as we move forward, even when this pandemic clears up, we still have that joy. Now, we've been talking about different facets of joy. Just a reminder, joy is not happiness. Joy should not depend upon happiness. Happiness depends upon what's happening. And if good things are happening, we're happy. If bad things are happening, We're not happy. But joy can be evident and be there even when good and bad stuff happens together. And so the joy is that deep-seated, interpersonal, purposeful feeling of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked a lot about joy, as I said, but one of the things about joy is that joy is not an emotion that you have to gin up. A lot of people think that they can get joy if they go to a real big concert or a good movie or they see a great book or a piece of art or have a delicious meal. That's happiness. Joy is something that we choose. Joy is a choice. And so we're going to talk this morning specifically about that choice and how to make that choice. And it's difficult. It's a daily choice to make. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I don't choose that and I struggle and I fall apart. And so, yes, it's a daily choice. So we're going to talk this morning about setting your mind on joy, because as I've said, two of the key words in the book of Philippians are joy. That's the key word. That's the theme of the book. But also the word mind is used quite frequently in the book of Philippians. And in the Bible, the words heart and mind are interchangeably or interchangeable rather. Now, oftentimes when we think of the heart today, we think of the seat of emotions. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about our hearts. The Bible talks about our hearts and our minds interchangeably, the seat of our intellect, the seat of who we are, where we make our choices, how we set our values, how we determine what's important and what's not important. 
Both of those things, heart and mind, are used in that way. And so today we've sort of changed the definition of heart. And even in the church, we focused on the spirit or on the heart. And I think because we've done that, we've done ourselves and the church a disservice. So this morning, we're going to talk about setting your mind on joy. And I want to remind you of a book uh, that Paul had written a little earlier, the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 12, he gives this instruction about how we live and about how we are to form our mind. And he's talking about submitting ourselves to God for service. And he says in, in, the, in chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We've talked about that. We've talked about the whole idea of transformation. This whole coronavirus situation should be transformative in our lives. We should come out of this not normal, but better than normal spiritually, morally, emotionally. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world. We're not supposed to act like, look like the world. He says, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you're going to honor God, if you're going to live for God, and if you're going to enjoy the, God, enjoy the joy rather that God has given you, then you need to focus your mind on the things that God is going to lay out to us. And we're going to look at that. You know, Paul understood that, but even outside of the Bible, centuries before Paul lived, Plato, the great uh, philosopher, <clears throat> understood that importance of the mind. He said this, he said, the energy of the mind is the essence of life. Aristotle, among philosophers, was a realist. He dealt with truth and realism, while other philosophers were dealing with relativism. He was dealing with the real world. And he said, again, the energy of the mind is the essence of life. And so he was on the right track, and it took God inspiring Paul to codify this and to bring this into a good, solid spiritual understanding. So as we look at the mind this morning, let's remember that that is the key to enjoying this joy that we want to have set us free. So before we jump into the Word, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time together yet again. And Father, we cannot be together, uh, but Father, we thank You that through technology we can communicate, we can, Father, preach your word and people can receive your word, Lord, because nothing holds back the truth. And so, Father, as we do this, this this morning, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and minds of those who are watching, those who are listening. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll give us a new appreciation of our minds and help us to exercise them, help us to energize them, and help us to focus them on you. May we do that now as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we get ready to jump in the Word, I want, to, I want to read you another quote from one of my favorite authors, Dr. J.P. Moreland. Dr. Moreland wrote a wonderful book, and I highly recommend it, called uh, Love Your God With All Your Mind. And the whole book is about how Christians have lost their intellect. We have gotten so caught up in our emotions, or we've gotten so caught up in the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit per se, but our spirits, that we've forgotten how to think, how to analyze, how to consider and he says this, he says, as Gallup poll after Gallup poll has shown, the result of our inaccurate emphasis on the spirit, along with our intellectual laziness, is that modern Christians are, are largely illiterate about the content of their own religion and feel inadequate because of it. 
I mean, let's face it, we go through life buffeted by all sorts of things, and we spend our time trying to figure them out. And don't we get a little bit discouraged sometimes because it seems like we have no answers? Or how about when somebody challenges our faith? Why do you believe there is a God? Why do you pray? Why do you believe that there is a better ending coming? And oftentimes we get discouraged, we get upset, we get fearful because we can't seem to answer those valid questions. Well, again, it's because we have not filled our minds with the truth. Oh, we get excited about emotionalism and we get all, we get in the spirit. But when it comes to feeding our minds with the truths of God's word, we fall short. As a matter of fact, talking to someone uh, several months ago, they said, well, you know what? I don't get all that excited about doctrine. I don't want to hear doctrine in the Bible. I just want to hear God's love. And I want to hear about God's healing and about God's goodness. Well, let me tell you something. You cannot understand God's love. You can't comprehend God's healing and forgiveness unless you understand the doctrines and the truths of Scripture. We need to know all about God and Christ and sin and sanctification, all those things. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans that I just quoted from is a doctrinal book. The whole Bible is a book of doctrine. We need to learn the truth so that we can answer not only the questions of skeptics and inquiring people, but we need to also understand the Word of God for our own questions and our own struggle. So as we jump into the book of Philippians, go with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to talk about making that choice to set our minds on joy. And that's what Paul here is, is giving us in this last few verses of this section. As a matter of fact, he, he begins this passage in chapter 8 of uh, Philippians 4 by saying, Finally, brethren. He's saying that because it's not necessarily the end of the letter. It's going to end a little bit, but he's closing up this whole situation. If you remember last time we were in Philippians, we had the conflict between those two ladies in the church, Euodia and Syntyche. And we had struggle there and difficulty there. And Philipp, the church at Philippi was, was struggling with that. And that was one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter to encourage the church to choose joy. And after he had dealt with that situation, he says, finally, brethren, and look at verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report. Let's stop there. Because Paul is encouraging us to make mental choices. Now understand something. This is a very basic axiom. Your life and my life, they are based on our choices. You are what you've chosen to be. You will be in a week what you choose to be. You'll be in a, a year what you choose to be. Your life is built upon what you choose and how you choose it. And so if you're going to experience the joy of the Lord, you're going to have to make mental choices. And this is not a one-time thing either. This is a daily thing. That's why we need to be in the Word as often as we can. That's why we need to have our devotional time, our quiet time. And we need to dig into the Word, not just in a quick mumbled 15-minute devotional, but we need to set aside time on a consistent basis to literally dig into the Word and find the meat that God has given us. So we need to make mental choices. And he gives us six things here to focus on. First of all, he says, whatsoever things are true. What is truth? That's what Pontius Pilate asked Jesus just before he sent him out to be crucified. He said, what is truth? But the difference between Pontius Pilate and you and I is he didn't hang around for the answer. What Pontius Pilate didn't realize is he was staring truth in the face. The Lord Jesus Christ is truth personified. But what is truth? 
Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth coheres with reality and corresponds with it. And so therefore, right now as I'm taping this, it's, it's Friday evening and the sun is shining brightly outside. Now, if you were to call me and tell me, Mike, it's raining outside, I would look out at the reality that's outside and say, nope, that's not true. It's the sun is shining. For instance, right now, it's true that I'm carrying a batch of keys in my pocket. If I were to tell you that I wasn't carrying any keys, that would be a lie. Truth corresponds with reality and it coheres with reality. In other words, it doesn't contradict itself. He says, focus on truth. And that's what we get from scripture. We get scriptural truth. We get doctrine. Not only truth in the Bible, but truth in our world. You know, you're, and, and let me just preface this, or let me just give a caveat. You're not going to find truth through the news media. I mean, our media today is so skewed in different political directions and different agendas that are driving it. It's going to be difficult to find truth in media. Not only that, but I'll tell you, even the worst place to go is Facebook and Twitter and all these social media platforms. You're not going to find very much truth there at all because everybody shares their opinion. Everybody shares their, their skew, their spin. And while opinions are interesting, I, I like to hear other people's opinions. I love to have discussions. Uh, if you're looking for truth on Facebook or Twitter or someplace like that, you're gonna be hard pressed to find it. So truth is that which corresponds and coheres with reality. Then he says those things which are noble. We need to focus on things that are, that are characterized by nobility. And what the word there in the Greek means literally dignified and respectful dignified and respectful. As a matter of fact, as we go through this, you're going to find out that a lot of these things that we're to focus on is going to knock out a lot of entertainment that we enjoy. Okay. Our songs, our movies, our TV shows, the things that we read, the jokes that we tell. He says, we need to focus on those things which are noble, focus on nobility, things that are dignified and respectful. Not that, not, not just truth and nobility, but also things that are just, just the word just literally means conforming to God's standards. We need to focus on things that conform to God's standards. Say, Pastor, how do I know what God's standards are? Go to the scriptures. Read the scriptures. So these are some of the choices we need to make. We need to focus on truth, nobility, and things that are just. Not only that, but he also says we need to focus on things of purity. Purity, which literally means things that are wholesome and moral and clean. Again, that knocks out half of the TV shows many of us watch. That knocks out half of the songs or most of the songs we listen to, the jokes we tell, the books we read. We need to focus on purity. Understand your mind and my mind is like a computer. We take things in and that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Thomas Aquinas says the only way we understand truth is he said that we have our senses, the senses of taste, touch, hearing, smelling, all of those things, seeing, that's how we take in truth. And we've got to guard the eye gate and the ear gate and focus on pure, pure things, things that are wholesome and clean. He talks about focusing on things that are lovely or loveliness. And he's not talking about a beautiful painting, which are, are they're, they're great, but he's talking about that which promotes peace, which is what that Greek word means there in scripture. Loveliness, that which promotes peace. And I tell you, I've gotten off Facebook for a couple of weeks because that doesn't promote peace. More often than not, people are arguing, fussing and fighting and debating, putting up political stuff and, and calling each other names. And it's just a, it's just a museum of, of human struggle. And we need to focus on those things that promote peace. Yes, in our families, in our churches, in our jobs. So purity, loveliness, and the last one, goodness. 
goodness, those things that are positive and constructive. You know, this cuts out a lot of the gossip that we get and like to pass along. You know, gossip, I don't ever remember hearing any gossip that is constructive. I don't remember hearing any gossip that is building somebody up. Usually people pass along gossip that is about someone who has been torn down or has the purpose of tearing down. And oftentimes we become tail bearers and God says, listen, you've got to make mental choices. He says, you've got to choose things that are true to focus on and to meander about. You've got to things, focus on things that are noble and things that display nobility, dignified and respectful, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely and things that are good or of a good report. You know, sometimes when people want to gossip to me and listen, I'm a pastor. People want to tell me all kinds of stuff. There are times, quite literally, more often than not, that I say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. For one thing, I'll tell you about gossip. When you, when you ignore gossip, it's very liberating because I don't want to sit here and carry that other burden around with me when I don't have to. Yes, I do counseling. Yes, people share burdens and problems with me. That's fine in a counseling situation because then I can help them think through it, pray through it with the truths of Scripture. But if somebody just tells me bad news or something ugly about somebody, I don't want to hear it. I don't need it. Leave me don't, don't call me with it. So he says, joy is a choice. And if we're going to enjoy, if we're going to enjoy joy, we need to make sure we make the proper mental choices. And he lays it out here. Truth, nobility, justice, things that are pure, things that are lovely and of a good report. We need to make those mental choices. Now, I hear people say sometimes, well, pastor, you got to be open minded. You know, generally, when somebody says that to me, it means that they disagree with what I have shared with them, my opinion or what I believe. And they say, well, you got to be open minded. My mind is open as far as truth is concerned. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. G.K. Chester Chesterton was a British leader, a thinker. And he said this. He said, merely having an open mind is nothing. Having an open mind is not a virtue in a sense. He said the object of opening the mind in the first place is the same as opening up the mouth. It is to shut again on something solid. You know, we open our mouth to take a bite of solid food. If we open our mind, we need to let it shut down and close in upon solid truth. If we open our mind to, to, to consider everybody's opinion and everybody's idea and everybody's belief, then we will never make good choices and we'll be so confused we will miss out on joy. So let's carry that whole idea of chewing as we continue. And the second thing we're going to look at is meditative chewing. And because Paul says this, look at verse, uh, the rest of verse 8. He says, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on those things. That's using the mind. And I've told you many times that the whole word picture of the word meditate conveys the idea of a cow chewing its cud. If you drive by a farm and you see the cows, they're grazing. And when they're not grazing, they're still chewing. Now, I hope you're not having your breakfast as you're watching this, but let me remind you what cows do. They have several stomachs and when they eat, they swallow it. And later when they're looking for a snack, they regurgitate it back up again and chew on it. And they like to just sit there and chew. It's called chewing the cud. And while that's a bit of a crude illustration, it's a perfect illustration of what meditation is. You take in truth, you take in those things that God told us to choose, and then you meditate on them, you chew on them, you ruminate on them. You know, that's why scripture memory is so important. 
You know, memorize scripture. Write scripture down on your phone or on your device or on a, you know, I don't know, go back to the Stone Age, you get a three by five card and write scripture down on it and carry it in your pocket. Learn it, memorize it. Let the word of God permeate your heart and mind. Chew on it. Bring it back up again like a cow does and consider it. And he tells us to meditate on two things. He tells us to meditate on that which is virtuous. What does virtuous mean? Well, he says meditate on that which is virtuous. It simply means the things that are moral. You know, there are absolute morals. There is absolute truth. God is morality personified. And we need to make sure we constantly are reminded of God's morals and God's morality. So that when we do have to make those choices, we can make good, informed, righteous choices. Or when we are faced with problems, we can answer those problems with good morale, moral thinking. Not only that, meditate on the virtuous, but also meditate on the praiseworthy or the commendable. Again, not, not meditating on that which is bad or ugly, not meditating on someone else's problems and tearing them down, but meditate, focus, think about, ruminate over those things that are praiseworthy over those things that are commendable, over those things that are good. You know, it carries the idea of positive thinking. Now, I'm not one of these name it, claim it, believe it preachers. Understand that I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about focusing your mind, making those mental choices, including that category of six characteristics he, he spoke of earlier. And then if there's any virtue in something, if there's any praise, if it's commendable, ruminate over that, consider that, apply that, and God will bless you. Understand, that's the whole idea. You have a mind. Use that and chew on those things. More often than not, we sit and fret and worry. Let me tell you something, I, and I struggle with that. Understand, we're all human. But I know that when I'm caught up in worry and fretting, I am not accomplishing anything. As a matter of fact, I'm making the situation worse. I'm making my blood pressure go up. I'm raising my stress level all because I'm worried about something that I may or may not even have control over. It's all in God's hands. I always have to stop and go back to Scripture. There are several Scriptures that I go to and I need to get my mind straightened up and cleared out. And I, and I ruminate on those Scriptures. I've memorized them. But I still go in the Bible and read them. But then I still have them in my head and I apply them. One of the main ones is in Genesis 18, 25, at the end of the verse where it says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, that's, that, that covers just about everything. Whether I'm dealing with problems or somebody I love is dealing with problems or there's a problem in the culture or argument, I have to trust that God at the end of the day, because He's just, true, and righteous, is going to do the right thing. So you see, that shapes how I think, how I feel. And therefore, I ruminate on that. I chew on that. I meditate on that because it is virtuous and praiseworthy. So, joy first involves making mental choices. It's what you focus on. I know in my own life, when I'm not focusing on those things, listen, I'm a basket case. I struggle and I get worried, I get concerned. There are times I just lose it, but I have to go back to the Word of God. I thank God that I have a godly wife that encourages me. I thank God that I've got godly friends that draw me back to the Scriptures. And that's why it's important to have godly people in your life who are going to draw you back to the scriptures. And then when I get those scriptures and I find them, like through this whole coronavirus, there are certain scriptures that I've been able to look at and help me to get through these things. For instance, in Jeremiah 17, uh, verses 5 through 10, I've shared this with you before. Uh, it says, God is our joy. 
God must be our joy. I, I can't find my joy in my health. I can't find joy in my finances, nor is joy going to be better when the coronavirus ends. I've got to find joy now in Almighty God. And that verse reminds me of that. And I constantly have to keep that passage rolling in my mind. I have to keep chewing on it. So we make mental choices and we do meditative chewing. This, and, and notice this right now involves no emotion. We're not talking about emotions. Emotions aren't bad, but emotions should never be used to make decisions. They should never be used to make choices because your emotions are like a roller coaster. You may be having a bad emotional day because you didn't eat right for breakfast, didn't sleep well. You can't make decisions in emotion. I found in my life when I make decisions out of emotion, I make the wrong decisions. And so he says, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So mentally chew over those good things, those good choices that we talked about earlier. And then in verse nine, he gives us a third direction. He tells us that these two things, when we make good mental choices and when we meditate on those and we chew on those, then our motives begin to change. And so we see motive changes. Notice what he says in verse nine. He says, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. You know, again, Paul, for the second or third time in this book, lifts himself up as an example for these Philippian believers to follow. Now, again, that takes a lot of guts. You know, you have to be somebody who is surrendered and living for the Lord to be able to do that with integrity. Now, again, Paul was no way perfect. Paul, we understand from Scripture, he had a bad temper. And we see it in the book of Acts. We see it in Galatians. He had a temper. Paul was not perfect. But those things that he focused upon God in his life, he wanted the people to look at those characteristics and follow him in that way. That's why he says these four things. The things which you have learned from me, as Paul taught them the word of God, as Paul shared with them the gospel and the wonderful, majestic truths of Scripture. They needed to understand those and live those. They learned them. He not only said that, but the things that you have received from me, the truths, the instructions that they received from him. You know, it's one thing to learn something. It's another thing to receive it. You know, I can learn something, but I may or may not agree with it. It's not till I agree with it and apprehend it in my life do I receive it. He also talks about the things that you've heard and seen in me. You know, as you've watched Paul, Philippians, learn from what you see in him. Learn from what you've heard from him. Here is Paul trying to encourage these people. Again, he's a good example to follow because he's in worse shape than they are. He is jailed. He is imprisoned. Yet he can find joy. He can celebrate the Lord. He's excited. This book is just eaten up with joyfulness from this man that has been quarantined, imprisoned, and shut down. So yes, he is an example to follow because he was joyful. These liberated Philippians with all their petty little problems, they can be joyful as well. So he says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. In other words, serve the Lord, Paul says, as I serve him. When you make those mental changes and choices, and when you meditate and chew over these things, they become integrated in your life and you begin to do those things. Paul was an example. Paul was a wonderful example of this. He was an example of joyful faith. And so they had to look at the things they learned, the things they heard, the things they received, and the things they've seen in him. You know, there are a lot of people that I look up to in the faith. There are a lot of people I watch 
and see how they respond and react to things. You know, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader in the church, but you know, there are, there are some church members that I look to and, and I, there, there, there are some people in this church that I want to be like them when I grow up. I'm not going to name names because I'm not going to point anybody out and embarrass them, but I'm just being honest with you. There are people that I look up to and appreciate because they are people of God and I watch them as they deal with adversity in their lives. And I learn so much from that. And I praise God. I have other mentors outside the church uh, who I watch and see how they respond and react. Because what's supposed to happen when I, when I get a hold of that joy is that it's supposed to change me and transform me. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If, you, if, if you're walking with the Lord and you're doing the things that he's laid out in this passage, making these mental choices, doing the meditative chewing over the things that are virtuous and praiseworthy, it is going to affect your life and the things that you do positively. And so you're going to have a, an exercise of this joy in your life. So he talks about the example of the joyful faith, and now he's going to give us the exercise of joyful faith. Notice what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, Again, let me start in verse 9. The things which you have heard, learned rather, and received and heard and saw in me do, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, times like these with the coronavirus, or even if there was no coronavirus, even if this thing never occurred, we deal with health problems anyway. Some of us deal with aging. Some of us deal with financial struggles. Some of us deal with family quabbles and struggles. Some of us are just broken because of our jobs or because of our circumstances in life. If it weren't the coronavirus, it'd be something else. And we struggle and we can't sleep at night and we get irritable. But God says when we practice a joyful faith, when we exercise a joyful faith, and that joyful faith comes from what we've talked about, He says, then the God of peace will be with you. How does that work? Well, it goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 26. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, God said, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Again, God promises to keep us in perfect peace. That word perfect means mature and complete. As long as our minds are stayed. That word stayed in the Hebrew in the Old Testament literally means rest upon, lean upon, fix upon. When our minds rest upon God, we lean upon God and we fix our mental exercises upon Him and His truth, then we will be in complete peace. And it says, why? Because He trusts in you. That, there's a lot to be said there. We, we talk about faith and we talk about trust, but we don't do much about it. Because we're too interested in looking for an experience. We're looking for a feeling. We're looking for something that'll gin up some sort of happiness. And I'm sorry, but if that's what you're living for, then you're being delusional because happiness is not going to come all the time. You know, even sometimes when we get what we want, it doesn't make us happy. Sometimes wanting is better than getting because sometimes getting, huh, it could be a challenge. What is it in your life that you wanted so bad, but then when you finally got it, you thought, oh, this isn't all that much fun at all. I mean, I remember when I wanted to get a straight drive not too long ago, several years, and I found one, I found it cheap. My red exterior, y'all remember me driving that thing around? And for the first little while, it was fun. But after that, it was a drag. And I hated that car after a while. But it was what I had. Now, that's just a small example. You could be dealing with something much greater. But sometimes getting what you want doesn't make you happy. 
And so he says, listen, if you do these things, if you exercise this joyful faith, then the God of peace will be with you. He will be there. And we know that because Isaiah 26 says, he will keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, God. And so the motive changes. Our motive of life, our, our exercise, are the things that we do begin to change. And if we're joyful inside, we begin to exude a, an attitude of joyfulness. And understand this, when we do that, then people will begin to see it in our lives and Lord willing, be drawn to Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We make mental choices. Joy is a choice. And as long as you're dealing and focusing on your emotions, and as long as you're looking for happiness, you're going to be, you're going to be let down. I like what Dr. Frank Turk, apologist says. He says, most people are on a happiness quest when they should be on a truth quest because happiness is going to let you down. But truth is always truth. It will never let you down. So we have to make those mental choices, those mental choices that involve again, truth, nobility, justice, purity, loveliness, and goodness. We need to make those choices and then we need to chew on those things which we find virtue and praise in and give glory to God. And then that changes our motives. As we, as we look at as examples of faith, Paul or whoever in your life is that example. We can gain examples from Scripture. That's why God gave us the Scripture and all those wonderful stories. God didn't just give us the stories in the Old Testament, New Testament just to entertain us. He gave us those stories so that we might look at these people, the good and the bad, the mistakes and the triumphs and learn from them. And that will change our motive because we begin to exercise a joyful faith and that practice gets translated into peace. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Paul had nothing to be joyful about physically, materially. When he wrote this letter, he was in prison. He couldn't go anywhere, do anything. He had nothing. But he had God and God was his joy. God was his hope. I want to close with a, qu a quote from uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century preacher and the one who spurred the great awakening in the United States before it was ever even the United States when it was the colonies. He said this, he said, the strength of the good soldier of Jesus Christ appears in nothing more than in steadfastly maintaining the holy calm, meekness, sweetness, and the benevolence of the mind. Again, focusing on the goodness. Benevolence means the benefit goodness of the mind. Amid all the storms, amid all the storms of life, viruses, money troubles, family, whatever. He says all the storms, the injuries, the strange behavior. I wonder what that means. I, I wasn't in his mind, I can under, but there's a lot of strange behavior around us. Again, you've been on Facebook and Twitter. You see it. And surprising acts and events of this evil and unreasonable world. So he said, the good soldier of Jesus Christ, it's a mind thing. And notice at the end, he called the world unreasonable. See, the mind involves reason. But this world is unreasonable. If you're looking for reasons from the world, you're, you're, you're looking in an empty cupboard. All truth, all wisdom, all moral absolutism, all reason comes from God. And that is why we must focus on Him, His truth, His word, and His mission. So I encourage you this morning, start today 
and begin to exercise faith in God. Start today and dig into His Word. Get good books that encourage His Word. Choose your friends better. Choose the people that you look up to better. Make sure that as you're watching them, yeah, they're, they're going to make mistakes sometimes. We all do. But watch them as they respond and react to the things of God. Because joy is a choice. If you want joy that sets you free, you can't gin it up in an experience. It's your choice. I hope you make the right one. True joy comes with knowing that you're going to heaven. And I want to encourage you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know, I remember before I got saved, I always worried, what would happen to me if I were to die? Where would I go? What would happen? And then when I was 15, I heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And I received Christ as my personal Savior. And I tell you what, that brought a tremendous amount of joy because I didn't have to worry about hell. I didn't have to worry about being lost. Because I found out that, yes, I'm a sinner. We all are. We've all done things wrong. And I found out that God loved me in spite of my sin. And that's why He sent His Son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to take the blame for my sin, pay the price that I could never pay. He was buried, and three days later, He rose again from the dead, and He lives today to give salvation to all who would come to Him by simple faith. For by grace, God's unmerited favor, are we saved by grace, uh, by faith. And that not of ourselves, that salvation is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast or brag. I'm going to heaven. I know that if I were to drop dead, I'd be in heaven with Him. Not because I'm better than anybody. Not because I'm so great. I'm a sinner. But it's because God loved me and sent His Son to die, to die for me and I placed my faith in Him. So if you don't know Jesus, get that joy started by choosing Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you do know Him, then you need to not only just have cho chosen Him as your Savior, begin to choose Him as the Lord of your life. Not to be saved, but because you are. Begin to read His Word, dig into His Word. You say, Pastor, I don't understand it all. Listen, I've gone to school. I'm still going to school. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years. I still don't understand it all. But you know what? I go to a buffet, at least when they open. I don't think we're going to have those anymore. But when I would go into a buffet, there'd be, there'd be tables of delicious food. I couldn't eat it all. I got what I liked, I got what would feed me, and then I was done. I can't understand all the Bible, but I can understand the things that I can understand. And the other things, I get help, I get people to help me with. So get into the Word, get into the truth, and begin to choose joy. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.